Welcome guys, this is a continuation of our discussion on the series Neon Genesis Evangelion with Jesse from the Sudden But Inevitable podcast, and today we are introducing the first part of a two-part discussion on the film, End of Evangelion. Once again, if you have not seen the series or the film, Neon Genesis Evangelion or End of Evangelion, we do recommend that you go back and watch that. There's going to be a lot of references to parts of the film where we do not discuss the narrative in the episode, so we believe that you'll be quite lost. And look, it's just it's a great series, so you should go back and watch it anyways. You are here for me to enlighten you. you ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know your lines, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Okay, so now when the movie picks up, we've got Asuka in the hospital, and she's in a coma. Shinji's trying to wake her up, and there's something that happens right off the back that I kind of want to get your interpretation of, okay? And that's within the very first 30 seconds to two minutes of this film, Shinji goes to shake Asuka awake, and her blouse pops open, exposing her breasts in a very sort of explicit fashion, right? And and that's not something that we've seen up until this point, and I think it's going to springboard into a discussion about how there's a little bit more frank uh, depiction of sexuality in the movie than maybe the show. Not to an overwhelming degree, but in, in ways that weren't there before. What do you think that's a result of? Just very directly. Like, why do you think they chose to do that and have that scene there? So I feel like we cannot discuss this without discussing sort of the reaction to the original ending of the series, right? There was a lot of blowback uh, when episodes 25 and 26 originally aired. There was a lot of accusations, as we spoke on earlier, of, you know, they just ran out of money and that's why they did this. There was no narrative choice. People got Some people got really, really upset. <laughs> yeah, the definitely. There was no big final fight. You know, it was this weird, metaphorical, philosophical thing, and it was Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that people got people. upset about the last episode of a television show? Not matching their expectations. I know, I know. Wild. It's a surprising Absolutely thing. Wild. But I, I think culturally at the time it was a little bit wild because, I mean, the creator was receiving like death threats and stuff, right? So it... Okay, so there's a lot of backlash to the end of the <laughs> series and they're saying, why didn't we get this? Why didn't we get that? And if I'm not mistaken, the studio went, hey, we'll give you a lot of money to make a movie out of this, what do you think? So, Making a lot of money for the studio will have that effect, by the way. They're like, ah, you know what, you made us a ton of money, we'll give you a fraction of that to go ahead and finish and sweep things up. Uh, we also want to tell you that we're pretty sure we're doing right. this because we can make more money off of you that way as well, but go on. It's the nature of the creative beast. So the backlash has to be addressed because in the creation of this movie... The creator knew, you know, here's what some of the expectations are. Here's what people think of what I've already done. So I'm going to put some direct responses to those things in this movie. I feel is is not uh, a stretch, okay? Mm. So this scene specifically, it it's almost the creator going, here, is this what you want? Do you want to see these characters overly sexualized? Because your fan art seems to indicate that. And the way that you guys are, you know, super all about these characters online, it really seems to indicate that you just want them to be over-sexualized. But he still does it in a way that is 
cold and clinical. Like she's in the hospital, she's in a coma, she's wearing a hospital gown, and the nudity here is purely situational, right? But because Shinji is a 14-year-old boy, and, you know, is Shinji an audience stand-in here? He He's like, oh, I don't need the emotional part of this. I just need the cold clinical nudity because I'm a 14-year-old boy. And Shinji makes the decision that um, <clears throat> this would be the time and place to uh, help himself uh, uh, release some of the tension that he's been feeling up to this point in the series. Let's just put it that way. And the shot on his hand, oh man, I, I couldn't even get around it if I tried. The uh, shot of Shinji's hand is is just one of those moments where you go, oh, okay, this is a little more intense than the series was. But it does set up a moment of payoff later, in my opinion. And I I really like the payoff moment that we get out of it. But to your point, there is something, I think, uncomfortable about it because it is so cold and clinical, right? We know that Asuka has no agency in this moment. She's literally unconscious. And Shinji is objectifying her against her will. Now, it's arguable that Shinji has been doing that anyway, um, but to a lesser extent and to not quite the extreme that we see in this scene. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting that you say that about how it could be sort of like a potential reaction to audience demands to sort of sexualize those characters because it's almost like he's like it's almost like he's like daring you to get sexually excited about finally seeing her breasts because she's in a coma i mean what worst case scenario could there be to like sexualize again, someone than she's than 14 being in a coma yeah and and the whole 14 thing is is like i think that that's a big part of it right it's okay in quotes air quotes that shinji does it because mm. shinji is 14 yeah. And it's okay that Asuka's a little weird because Asuka's 14. But it is not okay for us to be like, yes, sexualize that character. Because we're not 14, yeah. right? But we understand contextually what's happening with Shinji. And I feel like it's possible that the director is going, no, some of you don't understand that context, that context and I'm not okay with it. Definitely, definitely. And then after that, we get the official notification that episode 25 is beginning again for I know we've mentioned it a couple times, but just to be clear that this is a retelling of the final two episodes of the show. And in many ways, it's similar and in many ways, it's different. We're going to go into that over the course of the next 90 to 120 minutes or so, we assume. And uh, this is, you know, after Kawaru has already been killed by Shinji and uh you know, both sides have kind of indicated that they're, you know, officially ready to kick off this uh, instrumentality thing that they've got going on. And so there's a couple a couple of uh, direct quotes here, Jesse, that I kind of want to use to look at over the course of this discussion and kind of break down exactly what's going on. I think it's one of the things that I kind of want to identify, hopefully, with you is the exact nature of Zile's plans versus Ikari's plans and how they may work with and against each other. So, you know, we'll get kind of we'll get into that a little bit, but um there's a quote that uh they say right off the bat, okay? And I'll read it to you and we'll kind of break it down a little bit. So, one of the members of Sile says, "The spear of Longinus is lost. Lilith can no longer realize our instrumentality." Okay, so, you know, somehow they were going to use the Spear of Longinus and Lilith to bring about instrumentality. 
there, there's more to this quote here. So our hopes now rest on Unit 1, EVA 1, the uh, EVA that Shinji has been piloting the whole time, the sole counterpart of Lilith to carry out the sacred duty. Okay? So... Uh, so again, uh, in, in regards to the the first part, or in addition to the first part, we've got them saying that the Eva One unit is the counterpart of Lilith, which, if we remember, was basically the angel that birthed humanity, or that's kind of where we've settled on, so to speak, right now. Um, and then they also say that mankind's only duty duty is to give birth to the Evas. So, what does all that mean to you, Jesse? So it appears that, as we have discussed up to this point, the Avas could not have been constructed without some material from the angels, right? Or a combination of that with uh, a human soul, right? Kind of like genetic material? Yeah, so the angels being like an ultra-advanced version of humanity evolutionarily, but they lack a soul entirely, so we put a human soul in there via the the plug system. So I, I... I gotta be honest, this part is not something that the first time that I watched the series or the movie that I came away going, oh, this is what they wanted. And yeah. that, and I feel like that's probably fairly common. Like, <laughs> Definitely. I can say that about like 90% of what we've talked about over the last handful of hours. A hundred percent. And I'll, I'll just throw this out there right away, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss the series and movie. Yeah, because I hell feel yeah, like dude. My understanding has grown over this discussion just by having it. So, um, Same. but I, I think that it, it, it is meant to be a, you know, when, when we first encounter Lilith, first of all, I believe we are led to believe that she's Adam and she's, you know, buried deep beneath Nerve and she's on this, this huge, metaphorical and literal cross yeah. <laughs> and she's being held in place by the spear of Longinus. Right. Yeah. And when they pull that spear out to use it to combat the angel that's in orbit, which so freaking cool. Um, but when they pull that spear out, Lilith starts to regenerate. Yes. Right. So it appears that that spear is somehow either inhibiting her regeneration or maybe like altering her passage through time. We don't know because Evangelion is smart enough to just leave those little things to your imagination. And, you know, even while they're lore dumping you in a way that doesn't make you feel like you understand anything anyway, it's very impressive yeah. of, of things. Um, so it feels like the the Zele plan was, okay, at the end of this whole thing, we'll, we'll unpin Lilith from the cross. She will come down. She will become the vessel for humanity, right? So later in the film, I, it, we again, we can't talk about this without chronologically spoiling it. Air sure, quotes, yeah. But anyways, later in the film, uh, Ava 1 becomes the vessel of humanity and, you know, puts all the souls in one place and this, that, and the other thing. So I believe in Zele's plan, instead of Ava 1 doing that, it would have been Lilith doing that. They would have gone down, they would have released Lilith and say, okay, we're here to save you from the pain that we put you through, uh, will you save us now? Now will you fulfill your purpose because we have fulfilled our purpose. We created the Avas. And if Zele believes that humanity's only purpose is to create the Avas and thus bring about instrumentality and release Lilith, then that must be why they fast-tracked the Ava series and these mass-produced Evangelians, right, that show up in, in the movie. And... So their whole goal was just get to the end of the Dead Sea Scrolls prophecy and then believe that Lilith will do the right thing or do what we hope that she will do. Mm-hmm. And 
I think the only difference is that Gendo all along is thinking, okay, as opposed to having faith that just doing what is in this prophecy will be good, uh, I'm going to actively... I'm going to actively place my hand on the hand of God and attempt to move the pieces on the board, okay? So I feel like Zele is more of a, not necessarily a faith-based organization, but more of a dogmatic belief in, you know, what they think is going to happen. Whereas Gendo is more of a, I will control all of humanity's fate if it means I can control one part of my life. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing is that, you know, to a degree, Lilith does kind of end up fulfilling that role, you know? And so that's kind of what's interesting is by the end of it, we'll see Zile very pleased with the way things have unfolded. Everything kind of went according to plan. But it's interesting because I don't know if it's one of those things where they sort of manipulated Genji into doing what they wanted to do to make that happen was it at, because because Genji kind of goes rogue and starts his own instrumentality separate from Zile and again we'll get into that in, in a minute but in, in essence you know I feel like both of them kind of end up doing achieving what they set out to do so if they had separate aims how did it end up going correct for both of them like I know that might sound a little right. paradoxical but that's kind of what I'm wondering no, like I think it is a little bit paradoxical and I think that's by choice i think that it is meant to illustrate the nature of uh fate versus free Some will sort of destiny you know? kind of yeah point. and humanity's tendency to rely on fate when it's convenient and to fight against it when it's popular you know what i mean like the best stories are those are those heroes that fight against fate and and things like that you know but then there's also it's like when things go super terrible it's also fun to just throw your hands up and go that must just be destined to have a crappy day <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I think that that exists, and again, we're going, this is so good, Jason, we're going back to what we've stated up to now, which is the series has been implicitly and explicitly stated up to this point to be about the ability for humans to hold contradicting ideas in their heart, right? Sure, yeah. And I think that this is a great illustration of that. We have Zele and we have Gendo, and they have you know, very, very similar goals, but because they have so much pride in their own version of those interpretations, it's, it's difficult for them to work together despite, you know, the, us, the viewer going, aren't, don't they want the same thing? Shouldn't they yeah. be working together? And I don't know, there's something terribly beautiful about the fact that they do end up working together almost against their will by way of conflict and, you know, triggering the the end of humanity anyway it, it's like i mean that's that's a tragically beautiful thing that is is pertinent at all times right and i think that that is a big part of what makes this series and this movie in particular have some staying power because you can really dive in and go man i could really see where either of these either side could believe that they were definitely correct you know and you know in our heads we're like well the only the only thing that I really need is to see this story. Like, I don't need to be told which side the creator thinks is correct. I don't need to be told which side I should think is correct. I just want to see the story. And it's just executed masterfully. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we move forward, we do start to see a little bit more of the traditional story action trope elements start to pop their head, especially in this first half. And I think that's actually 
very pointed, those decisions. Um, it kind of dovetails, I think, nicely with what you said about the opening scene being a sort of commentary on the uh, response to sexualizing the characters. We'll get into the into the into the actual discussion in just a sec, but to catch people up, this is where basically, you know, Masato's hacking the Nerve database. She's actually getting some more info on the second impact, and that's when Sile basically responds by making an all-out assault, basically just an offensive to digitally occupy basically the Magi. Not dissimilar to when we saw the Angels trying to hack uh, Nerve and get access to the Magi. And Genji basically is like, in response, he needs uh, Ritsuko, or Rutsuko, forget exactly how to pronounce it, uh, to power down the Magi, right? Because she's the one that has the power because it was her mom that put herself in the supercomputers. And so, and she's kind of, it's kind of interesting that most of the characters, except maybe Masato, but most of the characters end up kind of falling into their own level of depression, uh, much similar to Shinji. You know, we see it with Asuka at the end of the series, and we see it here at the end with Ritsuko as well. And she's just kind of resigned to have being, you know, been played the fool by Genji and being manipulated, you know, uh, sexually, physically, emotionally, you know, pretty much any way you can cut it up. Uh, he, he manipulated her for his own gain. And, you know, even though she's done with him, she's just kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, sure, I'll go ahead and power it down. From there, it sets up a scene, and this is kind of where, again, I, I feel like this is a clue, and let's look at this and see if we can identify this. So... First of all, I, I kind of forgot, again, I know this has been a super long conversation, and especially, you know, the way we presented it, it's been chopped up over a couple weeks. Did we did we ever identify the Adam Angel? Or did we ever come up to any sort of conclusion, or we just decided, like, no, they never really presented them? I don't know that we 100% decided on that. I think we thought that they may have encountered Adam uh, in Antarctica but we also thought that maybe that was uh, actually Lilith still at that point, right? And that embryo is is what they brought. But I think I believe the embryo that um, Gendo has on the battleships when we first get introduced to Asuka, I believe the embryo that he's like, oh, everything is going to go bad here. I'm leaving. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I believe that's supposed to be the embryo of Adam. Um, but... I don't actually remember if we did discuss that earlier. Okay. Actually, I do have a question though. Go for because it. Because this, as we mentioned, this series does, this movie specifically presents itself as episode 25 and episode 26, despite the fact that the series already has an episode 25 and a 26. So I think I stated earlier that I am of the mind that this is actually not a different version of those events this is just a different point of view of those events okay for the most part maybe with some slight alterations but where do you stand on that are you of okay this is an entirely different version because he went okay if you don't like that then it ends this way or are you in the it's the same thing from a different perspective like where do you land on that I think that he kind of tried to have his cake and eat it too to a degree I think he's trying to do both a little bit to be honest 
I be, and here's the thing is like because when you're playing in this space where there's multiple realities and subjectivity, right? I mean, you can really do anything. Like it's it's only one step, maybe even a fraction of a step below the it was all a dream thing that we you know we all routinely hate and understandably. Um, because yeah, dude, if it's, get, just tell me your world has crazy magic, then you know don't just tell me it was a dream. Like I would much rather just be in a world with crazy magic where cool shit happens than you know it was just all the result of uh, someone's imagination but there's okay I was going to sort of bring this up later too but this actually does fit nicely with uh, one of the elements that I was going to bring up which is are you aware of the deleted scene the deleted live action scene specifically from the film I personally am not. Is okay. it? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is it the? Is it a school scene in live action? Okay, so it's actually it was it's on the it's on the DVD uh, that I have. Uh, physical copies for the win. Physical media, yay! Uh, and I looked into it and read a little bit about it because I ended up watching it yesterday. Which, by the way, no subtitles and no dub. So I watched like twelve minutes of a bunch of people speaking Japanese and just kind of trying to like oh i think she said ritsuko okay i think it's got like i think it's these are supposed to be the girls from the thing right like just trying to see because it's just it's just a like an 11 minute short film about like these girls sort of just existing and living life like being in their apartments and going to work and talking to each other about whatever like it's just it's just an 11 minute short film about these three women existing and I found out after the fact that I thought it was maybe one of the girls uh, and it was just supposed to be like her singularity maybe or something like that experience. Uh, it turns out it was actually all three of Ritsuko, Masato, and Auska. And they're, you know, like it's a real life short film of, of and, you know, played by three Japanese women. And again, they don't, there's no, within this short film, or within the scene, which is played like a short film, there's no robots, there's no end of the world, there's no angels, there's no magic powers, there's no nothing, right? And mm -hmm. so the fact that he wrote that sequence, even though it didn't make it into the film, the fact that he wrote the sequence and also spent all the money to film it and make the whole thing and edit it and everything and then not even include it in the final project, right? There's a reason that exists, okay? And I think it's unfortunate because I do think like like the the, the way that I I look at it, I, I can't really interpret it to mean anything other than like, yeah, this whole thing was kind of supposed to be like a dream, so to speak. Right. And the real life, real life is, you know, uh, presented as flesh and blood and they just have jobs and all this sort of stuff. So, like, I would love to know if you have any sort of interpretation on that. OK. I am so happy that you put it that way. So <laughs> as we discussed, I, I think it was in our most recent discussion, happiness lies in the spaces between the borders of people, right? Using your walls, the AT fields, to build a shared space that you both trust and love, the shared dream. As Ray Ayanami says, reality comes after the dream, right? So for me, it I don't know that I'm... I don't disagree with the multiple realities interpretation. What I feel personally that it might be closer to is just another illustration of Shinji losing the borders of his own reality in his own identity, right? So 
if we, for example, were to take this as just a different point of view of the same events from episode 25 and 26, okay, Shinji still makes the same decision. He chooses to try. He wants to give uh, reality a shot again, and he makes the same choice for all of humanity, right? The struggle is the point. Existence is the point of existing. So Shinji still does that. It's just that we see it from the bonkers perspective of people just exploding into LCL liquid when <laughs> the when they the moment of of enlightenment hits them right so when they get the thing they want when they have the one thing from other people that they've always wanted they explode into this singular being and it is just a more explicit visualization of what happens in the end of the series which is shinji's losing his grip on reality and the self and mm -hmm. the ego and all his borders his at fields are coming down he is joining all of humanity and at some point they go hey congratulations man you did it you joined all of humanity <laughs> and it's in that moment where he feels like he got what he needed from other people that's that he decides to do that so i think we're seeing that same thing here it's just that we're seeing it for everybody else because all of humanity has to experience it right for it to for Shinji to be able to go to the being of the, to the one being it has to exist in the first place and we get I think we get that so satisfyingly here because each of these side characters in addition to all of our main characters gets this moment of pure joy right the guy who's in love with Ritsuko gets the, the moment where or the the woman who's in love with Ritsuko gets the moment where Ritsuko hugs her and then she's like oh thank you and then splats into yeah. LCL and you get all these other characters getting their moment of validation and then splatting into LCL and I don't know just I, I feel like it fits almost too well to not be the same events from a different angle. Sure. And and then it all still works, right? Because again, we get more detail from the process where in the original series we saw Ritsuko and Masato dead, right? And with no context. So part of me is going, this is explicitly the context for those two shots in the original series. We see how Ritsuko got to where she got and who shot her. Yeah. And we see how Misato got killed, right? So I, for me, it's almost like it has to be just the context that we were missing from other points of view from the first two episodes. Yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right, man. And I, and I do ultimately agree with you because I think, you know, it kind of explicitly tells you in the TV show that like this is Shinji's personal singularity. And then even here within the movie, we do get, you know, these very sort of like objective looks with regards to the soldiers that are storming the nerve HQ and everything that's going on. And to your point, you know, Masato's death and, and other people's and, you know, we'll kind of bounce back and forth at times between what's going on in Shinji's head and what's going on in some other people. So, so yeah, so I think that this movie is kind of like definitely telling you like, Hey, here's objectively what happened. Right. And then also like, but we're also still going to take in, we, you know, we spent the TV show show showing <laughs> Sinji's singularity. So we don't need to spend a ton of time with that here, but we'll still kind of bring it back a little bit to remind you about it. Here's what objectively happened, but we're still freaking Evangelion. Yeah. So. <laughs> Buckle the F up. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to make it that easy on you, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, moving forward, let's talk about this uh, real quick here. We've got uh, the military continuing their assaults on the Nerve HQ. And I think just in general, the, the, the movie took on so many 
additional traditional beats and sort of like almost like by the book action story development character reactions score beats you know even the way that like Masato saves Shinji, right? Because, like, nerve, you know, Shinji's broken. He's hiding out under a staircase. Some nerve soldiers, uh, or, you know, soldiers on the military's behalf, and I guess the government's behalf, are literally about to shoot him in the head. They're like, sorry, kid, nothing personal. And then, like, super action princess Masato, like, kicks into gear, right? And she's like, you know, she runs up super fast and, like, kicks him and then shoots him in the face and then, like, holds up the gun and then has her own, like, one-liner quip, like, sorry, nothing personal boom right like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in the 90s or something and so I I really feel like coupled with what you said earlier about Auska's nudity I do feel like a lot of this is kind of in response to the demand for a more traditional ending and it's kind of him as an artist going like the non-traditional elements of the story that I'm telling is what makes this series special. You guys are complaining that a singular work of art doesn't follow these by-the-numbers action tropes. And you know what? Like, if you're going to bitch about it, here you go then. Here's everything you wanted by the numbers. Here's the quippy one-liner. Here's the cool dramatic music. Here's the nudity. Here's the everything. Fuck off and leave me alone. I'll see you in episode 26 for some weird shit again. <laughs> it's him going... Oh, do you realize that you are asking to see these people that you love slaughtered? Do you realize that you are asking to see these <laughs> characters that you love uh, clinically naked and with no agency or control over their own actions? Do you really understand that you're wanting to see Asuka get into her Ava and get just torn to shreds because she's in an unwinnable fight? Like, do you realize what you're asking for? Okay, here it is. I'll execute the hell out of it. Um, but here it is. Fine, deal with it. And yeah. it is... It is. It does have something to do with just the comments on the commentary on identity and desire and the walls between people, right? Because as the creator, he must have gone, here's my message about humanity and understanding perspective. And people went, I don't get it. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't exactly what I expected. It's like, exactly, right? And then like, well, no, that's a criticism. Wait, I'm sorry, what? What do I do? Yeah, like, I I don't know how to create if you will not consume. Like, so yeah. it, it, there is some aspect of that, but I got to say, I mean, it has to be said, they execute on such a high level, like just on those pieces despite being tropey that it is so freaking entertaining it's yeah. the same thing it's the same reason that you love hot fuzz right because yeah it's making fun of buddy cop movies but it executes on the level of an actual buddy cop yeah. movie as as perfectly as it needs to to get you invested right same thing here he's he's commenting on you guys are all depraved people why do you want to see this and then going but here it is, though. It doesn't look insanely <laughs> cool because we can't. Uh, there's no getting around Asuka's tragic final battle as one of the most powerful pieces of animation I've ever seen in my life. Like that whole sequence. Like I have actual. I don't. You can see it on the camera, but I have actual goosebumps just thinking about Asuka's fight with the Ava series. It's like. The music and the choreography, the animation, I just, oh, Jason, you're going to have to talk for a second, man. Yeah, yeah, so let's go ahead and set that up for everyone. So this is where, you know, again, Auska's, she was comatose, 
Nerv knows what's going on with regards to Sile initiating this attack. They need to basically get her out of there to protect her. They decide the best way to do that, get her in the Ava 2 and, you know, hide it deep at the bottom of the ocean, right, where they can't really get to it. And let's just, you know, deal with this and know that she'll be safe, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't exactly happen because, you know, they're, I mean, it's, the government has every single resource possible, you know, involved in this attack, so no one's getting away with anything right now, and so she's getting barraged the hell out of it, which, by the way, I thought was interesting that the weapons that they are attacking with are very clearly, like, angel weapons, so to speak, right? Like, I don't know what the exact terminology is, but the the weapons that the angels have been attacking with are these, you know, it very clear it has a, a distinctive animation style that makes it seem like it's kind of energy based as opposed to the more traditional ammunition of like the nerve soldiers. And the missiles that attack Auska are very much in that same fashion. So I think they're using again, quote unquote like angel technology, so to speak. Well it does seem to be okay, the rest of Zele was trying to play catch up with their Avas, right? Like they're always, you know, a couple steps behind the rest of of Gendo's Avas, right? So it's like maybe they maybe they were able to and we do come to learn that they were able to duplicate some of this technology and maybe, you know, advance and change some of it. Um, but for example, the swords that the Ava series uses. Yeah. So I think it is meant to, to your point, it is meant to illustrate, look, this is literally the world versus Nerv right here. And it's you know, if we're if we're looking at this as a reinterpretation of the first two episodes of the last two episodes from the series, we knew that Asuka was starting to have this self confidence issue, and that she was starting to go, you know, fine, I don't care, whatever, just put me in the thing, it probably won't work, it's fine, just have Shinji do it, I don't care. So we we have some context here for that. It's not like that came out of nowhere, and I love that, but this is where we start to get our explicit, a little bit more explicit. Um, that uh, confirmation that the the souls in these avas are the mothers of these pilots right like she starts to truly believe that and shinji has a couple of moments where he literally says mom sure. so it's like they're we're starting to really get oh, okay yeah gendo literally manipulated these women into choosing to put their souls into these giant machine human machines you know and it's but yeah so this this scene with Asuka, you know, just having this breakdown and kind of going through what it appeared to be the process that, that Shinji was going through at the end of the series, right? Like, she's having this, like, okay, well, then who am I? What is identity even? And what does it matter what I do versus what other people do? And it's, I, this is, this is one of the, I, it's difficult for me to talk about this scene because it is so well animated. It's so visceral. It's so, just good in so many ways but this is for me where we get the reassertion that Asuka is 14 right like you really need to keep in mind when you watch this that everybody is 14 like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that informs a lot of their decisions and actions <laughs> absolutely yeah and, and she's got she just feels so childlike in in a vulnerable way here and asuka is not a character that usually feels vulnerable sure absolutely now we're gonna have this discussion right here about exactly what's going on because i i think that i can sort of challenge you a little bit and and again not to say that any of this is objective or not right but so give it so i think it's i think it's interesting what you said about the souls of you know the mothers being sort of 
the souls that were infused into these Avas, right? Because we've identified that they're, you know, uh, biomechanical and that they needed souls input in them. Now, here's what I'd like to sort of suggest to you, so to speak. Especially if we get the confirmation at the end that the Evas are designed to basically persist through time, right? So they live infinitely. So, so le actually, let's look at it this way. So if what you say is correct, one of two things either happens with regards to souls, and that's there is one soul input in the beginning of the Ava originally, and that soul persists through time with the Ava, right? Because the soul is, uh, you know, not bound by the same constructs of, of time, space, etc. Or the souls are like interchangeable, right? Like a soul can be removed and put in later. Here's why I suggest this, which is if a soul is going to persist through eternity and the pilot is not, would they design it such that Auska's mom is then like everybody's mom moving forward, right? But if if a, if a new pilot, if that's not th that that pilot's mother, does it still have the same impact? You know what I mean? Or is there some sort of sinking going on? And or it's like you know what? This is the eternal mother. It's the mother of everyone, right? Or uh, but so how how would you kind of resolve that aspect of it? So I believe the answer to that question, and this is going to sound incredibly condescending, but I just realized it as you were speaking, mm -hmm. and that's the only reason I'm speaking it with confidence. <laughs> the answer is the Human Instrumentality Project, right? So if if the problem, quote-unquote, with each Ava is that only one pilot can sink because of that genetic match, right? It has to be the child of the soul that is within the Ava already, if the goal of the Human Instrumentality Project is to create one all-soul for humanity, okay. then the Avas are absolutely just a vessel for the all-soul. And if you can break the walls between the souls down to the point such that humanity is all one puddle of LCL, right, mm -hmm. which we already know is part of the functioning of the Ava, then I would think that by combining all genetic material of humanity into one being, you would you'd have the access to the necessary genetic material within the plug, and that would be enough. And that would create the the that was that's how the Ava becomes the vessel for humanity's souls, right? Which they which Zele thought was Lilith. But to that point, from a purely physical standpoint, I think it would mean that the Ava would have to evolve physically like to be able to contain that much uh, LCL fluid. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is, I think I am realizing as we discuss it, that that's the point. If, if the Ava is the only thing that they can guarantee will persist and they can bond human souls to the Ava, then that's why they're trying to implement instrumentality. And it just comes down to Zele going, oh, we need to bond all of humanity's souls to Lilith and Gendo going, no, let's bond all of humanity's souls to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really know how to pick them. Yeah. Well, so, and here's one of the things that I kind of had considered, um, and I'm still not sure where I fall on this, but a large part of me considered that when Auska has the realization that her mother's soul is present with her, right? And that may be physically or not, and it may be imbued in this Eva and she gets this power and then she, you know, is able to fight the S2 Evas and all of this. 
part of me wondered, and this again would tie in with the sort of like, you know, uh, depression aspect of it and treatment as far as all that's concerned, which is that, you know, we, we, we touched on earlier in the discussion, a large part of this film's underlying truth is the nature of whatever you believe is the truth, right? We, we discussed this. And so I wonder if it kind of is along those lines, like maybe it's not an objective truth, but maybe it's Auska's truth. And even if it's not a reality or an objective truth, the mere fact that she believes it to be true, quote, uh, like they say, strengthens the walls of her heart to the point that she now has a well-developed AT field, right? Because that's what they say. They say the AT field is a direct reflection of the walls of your heart. And when she has this quote-unquote realization that her mother is present, that's when she's able to develop the AT field. But based on what they're saying, it wouldn't necessarily be like the mother's direct influence creating the AT field. Again, it's it's Auska's internal emotions creating that. You know, you understand that what I'm saying? Does it make sense? I agree with you. The the I think we we may have discussed previously the that we choose the image that others see of us. And we do have some control over that, but their perception, the the other's perception is the final filter and that cannot be altered. But, you know, if she is going, okay, here's my filter, then that's where she seems to be drawing that strength from because she does go from like literally pouting at the bottom of the ocean to what am I doing? I am Oscar freaking Soryu Langley and I am (laughs) going to kill everything immediately. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it really does, and I think this goes back to her character in general, and I know we discussed this, that Asuka is there to show you that anger really can be a useful tool. It's just that it's not always enough. It's not usually enough to get all the way to your goal, right? Um, but you can have this sort of anger that is like, I'm I'm so angry at the world that I refuse to let it beat me. Like, I you know reality itself is my enemy and i'm gonna fight like hell to win yeah and in this case man that's a pretty literal statement right (laughs) um and i think it is representative of to your point just those different viewpoints it's asuka going i now believe this so here's how i feel about that and shinji has to come to realize oh it's not about the fight you know it's about it's about letting yourself not fight. It's about, you know, just trusting other people's perception of you to be somewhat true, you know, and and keeping in your heart the contradictory idea that just because it's somewhat true doesn't mean that's exactly who you are. And, man, Asuka, Asuka's character in general for me I think might be my favorite throughout the series, and we do get this moment from her. This is, I think, the direct callback from the first scene where we are hearing her thoughts and we're hearing her thoughts in conjunction with, you know, how Shinji perceives her. Mm. And she says something like, I know you've been jerking off to me. Yeah. Why don't you just do it right now, right in front of me? And it's like, oh, he did that. Actually, (laughs) that already happened. So good intuition there from Asuka. But it is, it's almost like her saying that to the audience, right? Like, I know you freaking perverts. This is what you want. You want me to get destroyed by these angels and you wanted to see me naked. Are you happy now? So, the movie has so many layers to it, man. I But yeah, the Asuka character in particular is my favorite, I think, for that reason. Absolutely, yeah. And then, you know, we've also got the moment where uh, Ritsuko holds up Akari. Akari's kind of ready to go ahead and move forward with the singularity with Rey. 
Also, interestingly, Ray's body is like physically decomposing, so they've got like a, a, a matter, you know, time is of the essence here. And there's a very interesting scene where Ritzko stops him, holds him up, says that he's go, she's going to disengage the supercomputer that is her mother's minds. And when she tries to, it's rejected by the Casper part of her mind, who was the lover aspect of her mother's personality that unfortunately chose Genji over her. And, you know, Genji then turns around, bam, shoots her much the same way that he's just disposed of her anytime she no longer has something to offer. And then from there, we get another. Uh, so I found out again, I was, you know, uh, trying to catch up on the storyline or something and saw that there was an element of controversy. Didn't really look at the reasons why we can discuss that. But behind the uh, in, behind the kiss, I guess the kiss between Masato and, and, and Shinji is kind of uh, infamous here. And. You know, I'd like to, once again, I'll just ask you very, you know, openly, like, what's your interpretation of that whole thing? What's going on with that kiss? So as we've seen, all the all the characters at this point are starting to, you know, their realities are breaking down. Once they see the thing that they want the most from another person, they splatter into the LCL. Shinji, much like the start of the series, is just being told, please just get in the robot and, and save everyone. And he's like, eh. And... I mean, like that's a synopsis for yeah, the yeah. entire series right there. But <laughs> we do get this, 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 like you said, action princess Masato shows up, and it's like some part of us has always known that this is what she is, right? This is what she's trained for, is to, and the role that she has chosen is to be Shinji's guardian. Like this is what that means in this world, right? She chose to, at some point, at the end of her job sacrifice herself for him she chose that a long time ago because she doesn't have any kids of her own and she you know her father was never around and constantly abandoned her so she's like i'm not going to do that i'm going to be there for this kid but that that kiss man it, it's there's something about it okay we can't we can't just say that it's okay because it's animated and it's you know a movie but yeah it's not it's not appropriate, um, but that's kind of the point. Masato knows she's going to die, yeah. but she also knows that Shinji is a sexually frustrated 14-year-old boy who needs to be like jarred into reality and given some instantaneous motivation. And, I mean, easy way to do that for a 14-year-old boy is have a woman, what, twice his age? Give him a deep, deep French kiss, and then intone that if he makes it back, he's going to get to do everything else he's always wanted to do. Sure. So it's like, it's definitely, um, it's definitely in my head, her character going, "What can I say to get this kid motivated? How do I get him into the machine? I have to give him something." And she's literally at the end of her rope. So she goes, I don't, I have nothing. I will just say, I know that you're a 14 year old boy. I can offer you my body and see if that works. Because yeah. I mean, at this point she is offering her body, right? She's sacrificing her body for Shinji. So the, in this moment, you know, Re Misato becomes the Ava. She becomes the soul of Shinji's mother. She's protecting him. She's the one, you know, reaching up to put her hand over his head as the girders fall from the ceiling. It's just that in this case, those girders happen to be UN soldiers, and she really is cool, man. Nothing, nothing personal, <laughs> and just ah. Oh. But yeah, it it is it is a. I could see where people would bump on it as going, whoa, she's making out with a little kid. But it's also like, if that's the first thing that bumps you in this movie, something's wrong with you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, and to me, I think also there's an element of the same way that the series kind of takes 
moments to remind you that these are kids. I think maybe it's doing the other thing and reminding you that like, hey, she's an adult and there are adults in the room too, you know, because most of the series, Masato's just very youthful, right? Like she, she kind of just feels like an extension of the other kids. Like it never really feels like she's playing mom. It always feels like it's, you know, she's like the cool aunt at most or something like that, you know? And I think that in this moment, the one thing, you know, again, she's like, you know, this is how adults kiss, right? Like there's a, there's this, this distinctive call out of like, I'm an adult and you're a kid. Right. And I think that's ultimately what it is calling out to us as the audience. I do think that in terms of the narrative, there is an element of her probably trying to motivate him. And then also just, you know, there is a relationship that developed between them, you know, and it's, I mean, it's a very, it's a very cinematic quality to have an action, a gift, like some sort of physical something that happens to represent and wrap up the nature of their relationship, right? Um, and we've even seen that before, you know, where an inappropriately older person, you know, kisses someone younger uh, i'm thinking of blank check right now <laughs> they do that in the all-time classic blank check from disney um which uh, even when i was young was like super weird like why is she kissing him she's so much older but either way so i i do wonder if there's sort of like a narrative aspect but again to me it was really that distinction of like again we really see her being an adult and the sexuality that she has shown throughout the episode where it's just kind of these horny teenagers, you know, crushing on their teacher and she's very cutesy and hey guys, what's up? But this is like a very womanly, seductive, deeper sexuality, almost primal that hasn't really come up before where it's been kept uh, surface level. Well, I feel like, I mean, you can't talk about anime in general and specifically Neon Genesis without talking about the fan service camera shots, right? Where we have moments of the, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of those. The male gaze gets animated on, into the right, show. Where it's just like right? having the girls yeah. bend over and showing that exactly. Shots and, stuff. and and Shinji, you know, like we have these tiny little shots of like maybe the top of a character's breasts, right? But in a shirt, yeah. or like the mm-hmm. side of a character's butt cheek, but they're wearing clothes, right? Like I feel like some of these little shots are meant to indicate, okay, this is Shinji still, you know, at the end of the world in a pile of pressure and has no idea who he is as a 14 year old boy. He's still going, Ooh, there's some like, Ooh, there's some boob. Ooh, there's some like, Ooh, I see some like, <laughs> because let's be real, dude. When you're 14, that is yeah. happening in your brain. Absolutely. Right. That's, that's the relatable part of who Shinji's character is. So I feel like if we look at this as, as I mentioned before, if we just look at this as another interpretation of the same events that happened in the original episode 25 and 26, then maybe if this go, if we vision, if we envision this scene as purely happening in Shinji's mind, even right, then this is one step along the lines of him choosing to join all of humanity's soul. This is him getting yeah. what he thinks he needs from another person. He, you know, he's saying, just love me, just pay attention to me. And, connecting with another person is is Shinji's most difficult thing in the entire series and I think that Misato I mean we know that Misato recognizes that so she's like forcing a connection on him to make him realize look sometimes humanity isn't exactly how you want it to be sometimes it has to be an older woman like making out with you um 
but humanity is worth fighting for and existing is the point of existence and you should give us another shot at existing please go fight to keep us alive you whiny little brat (laughs) (laughs) absolutely man now we're actually about to sort of wrap up episode 25 here about halfway through but before there's something that i need to i need to come back to uh i sort of brought it up before with regards to um whether or not we saw adam right because there is a an explicit line that ikari states and it's uh it's actually earlier on right about when uh right about when uh, the nerve HQ uh, when Zile attacks the nerve HQ and Akari says we have Adam and Lilith like distinctively says we have Adam and Lilith so they're coming after us like you know what do we do here so the whole notion of the Adam angel Ikari saying that he has it is and, and, and we see it come up later we saw it come up before I'm wondering, is that mass of flesh with the eyeball and Yui's personality that he keeps trying to put in the Eva and that we see later on in giant ray energy's forehead, except the tree of life, is is that is that Adam? Is that possibly the Adam angel? I believe that it is. And I think that that is the... That is what was the difference between his goal and Zele, right? Zele was going... Look, the angels are going to show up. We just got to be ready for them. And Gendo's going, no, I'll make them show up in the order that I want, and then I will force the hand of God, as we mentioned before. I think that you're right, because for him to put that in his own hand, I mean, that's perfect symbology, right? Like, he... He believes himself to be God, so he, you know, his right hand has the the material of God in it, and he is going to yeah. fuse it with humanity. I think that's an excellent, excellent read, Jason. I hadn't even considered that. Nice, dude. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things that makes a lot of sense, and, and you know, just, you know, going back retroactively, like, oh, okay, yeah, so then this, this, that, every time we see it. And again, it's just every time he talks about having the, you know— means to advance humanity it's always with that and then from there i wondered like how much of yui is in there right like is is yui is is there even a scenario where like yui herself is the original angel right which would trend from a narrative standpoint i don't know whether the logic works there or not but is that something it's a good question because you could argue, and I believe somebody does state it, maybe even in the series, but is humanity the final angel, right? Like, because yeah, she does. Created... Masato says that humanity is an angel, and basically, like, we could have been any of the other angels' forms, but, like, none they can't coexist, so, like, one had to win out and ours won out. Right. But we could have looked like giant diamonds, apparently. And that was the end of the first part of End of Evangelion discussion. We will be back in two weeks to wrap up this long-running feature that we've had here for a minute with part two of our review of End of Evangelion. Thanks for joining us here on Esoterica Cinema. We will see you next time.